how we do HWD. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the most important podcast of your life. Get it. Strap in. Because we're going to talk about everything. Ups and downs, ins and outs. We all got them. All the great people I've crossed paths with. I'm going to bring them to you on this podcast. And I can't wait. We're going to talk about all the things that bring us together. People. The hardships. The love. Yeah. Difficult times that made us who we are. Bring us together. And how we're giving back. Gotta give back. It's an important conversation. In it together. How we doing? How you doing? And how we doing, gang? Everything's good over on this side of the woods. But I'll tell you what, episode six, probably going to light this thing on fire because I have, I don't know, one of my favorite people in the world. I've been listening to him for many, many years, reading his articles. His name is Peter Bukowski from Locked On Packers. And uh, quick side note, we are not going to talk about the Green Bay Packers. We are here to talk about how Peter became the host of the number one podcast in Packer Nation. I know everybody out there thinks they can do his job. They want to do his job. I hear, I see the trolls on Twitter. Listen, I got a little secret to let you in on. You can't do what he does. You'll see in this conversation, I have to ask very few questions because the guy, he has stories, he has life experience, and he has the ability to talk on a microphone that very few people in the world do. Make no mistake. Hey, but uh, before we get there, I just want to thank everybody for listening. The numbers are fantastic on this podcast. We're still on the Acme Army stream. Also, make sure you go over to the How We Doing page and give us a like over there because that will make sure all these episodes pop up weekly on your feed. And guys, make sure Peter Bukowski is on your Twitter feed. Follow him at Peter underscore Bukowski and make sure you follow Locked On Packers everywhere. You could find a podcast just like us. Everybody that's been following us on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Google, I appreciate you. Thank you. And everybody out there that is sharing this podcast with a friend, we appreciate the hell out of you. So listen, how we doing? Acme Army. Enjoy this one. This is Peter Bukowski of Locked On Packers. Ladies and gentlemen, we have uh, one of the greatest guests that I've had on the show, bar none, but uh, he is well-loved and well-known by many. He is the host of the number one Packers podcast in the nation, Locked On Packers podcast host, Peter Bukowski. Peter, how we doing? I'm, I'm good, Eric. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. I uh, appreciate your time like, uh, like we were just talking about. You know, before you even uh, heard of my name uh, last week, we've been friends in my ears <laughs> for, you know, uh, five years. I'm a, I'm a stay-at-home dad, so whether I was doing laundry, mowing the lawn, uh, cleaning up the toilet bowl that my son can't seem to hit, it was uh, you in my ears throughout those times, and uh, and I appreciate the heck out of you, out of you being here. Uh, well, I am I am glad to have been with you through the best of times and the worst of times during the day. I I, I am also a stay at home dad, and not just because of of COVID. So, um, I uh, that's great. I'm I'm glad that we got to share those moments, even though I didn't know about it. <laughs> so let me ask you this right now: as a stay at home dad doing your job, how are you finding the balance? I mean, it's tough, right? Um, 
the 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 nice thing if there is one for me is a lot of my work i do at night and and that was always going to be the case um i do two podcasts every day during the week locked on packers and locked on today locked on today we don't put to bed until like 1 30 eastern time really so and i'm doing locked on packers you know depending on the dinner situation so i'm the i'm the chef in the household my wife does bedtime routine for our 13 month old. Um, and I'm usually making dinner. Mm-hmm. If we don't have to make dinner, if you know we're ordering in or we're doing leftovers or something, I'll record locked on packers for the next day at dinner. Wow. Or, you know, at a time like, you know, free agency or or you know, around that time. I really can't do that. I have to wait until, you know, eleven, twelve Eastern because news could break at any minute. Yeah. And then you just, you know, you know, you have to, you have to put a whole episode in the trash. And by the way, I've had to do that before. <laughs> so I do, I, you know, a lot of my work is done between the hours of like 10 PM and 1 30 AM. Mm. And then during the day I have that, you know, nap break. And I'm lucky that my wife now right now is working from home during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, so she can get up with the baby, feed him, hang with him for a little bit so I can sleep you know, a, a, a little, a little bit more than I might otherwise be able to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I can get up at eight o'clock instead of seven o'clock, which is, uh, uh, you know, a, a big deal. That extra hour is, <laughs> sure. is uh, a godsend. Sure. And on days when I don't get it, you know, it's, you're, you're, you're dragging a little bit. So um, I'm, I'm lucky that my wife is, is doing her stuff during the day. I get to spend time with her. I still get to do my work and I get to spend all this time with my son. Yeah. For me, it's kind of the best of all worlds. <laughs> You know, all of my friends gave me so much shit for being a stay-at-home dad. And now I have a nine-year-old and a 13-year-old. It's been the greatest experience as far as being able to coach, spend time with them, making all the meals for them. And uh, my wife, her, her, you know, she's, we live in Philadelphia, so her business is, keeps her locked down on that computer. And through COVID, she's been in the office here. So, I mean, the responsibility is, it's nothing to joke about or think hey oh you got a cake life that's what uh, i'm sure they think about with with you when they heard now peter let's let's dial it back here because i'd be remiss to say if uh, my my co-host on the acme army uh, podcast didn't want me to say he is one of your biggest fans uh, boomer eric gives you a, a lot of love on all of his shows i told him he had to stop listening to lockdown packers if we're going to continue <laughs> doing a packer podcast because your opinions were influencing his and uh, we could not do that but um, just to dial it back here, because Peter, th- what I thought about so often listening to you, again, mowing my lawn, doing my chores, was h- how did you get into podcasting? How did you get into sports? So just let's start off out your childhood. Now, wh- where'd you grow up? You're not a New York kid. No, I grew up in Milwaukee um, in, in a suburb called Shorewood. Mm-hmm. Um, and sports was a big part of my life. Um, you know, very, very early on. I mean, I think my, my grandfather got me a blow up football and uprights when I, for like my third birthday or something. And it was something that I always shared, you know, even more with my grandparents than my dad for a while, because, um, my dad's dad was a season ticket holder, a diehard, he followed it all really closely. My mom's dad, um, was also a diehard, even though he was living in Minnesota diehard Packer fan from Whitefish Bay, which is just a suburb north of Shorewood. And um, my dad 
was a little busy trying to get a business off the ground. And he started his own business when my sister was just born um, in 1989. And so for a lot of that, he, you know, he's, he's working. Um, and, and it wasn't until later in, in my life that he was able to have a little bit more time to, and we always watch games and we always watch games every Sunday. Um, every Saturday we're watching Badger football. Um, we were going to games. My first Packer game, I think I was five or six. Um, I didn't actually go to a game at Lambeau until 96. Uh, the first two or three games I went to were at the Metrodome. <laughs> and they never won. <laughs> yeah. Packers never won. But I did go to the Metrodome in the year they won the Super Bowl in 96. Mm. And then I was at my first game at Lambeau was the Mud Bowl San Francisco 49er game in 97, the 96 season. But it was awesome the, the year 97 that they won the Super Bowl. And my feet were freezing um, because it was wet and cold. And, and I didn't care. I didn't care. And I didn't, you know, when you're however old I was, single digits, um, you don't have that beer layer that you can, you know, sort of fall back on, right? I had, to, I was like, hey, dad, can I get another hot chocolate? Um, so yeah, I, and, and, you know, the, the podcasting part of it came obviously much later, podcast didn't exist. Yeah. But even sports radio, it, it, I listened to it, at, you know, we would always turn on the, the post game, yeah. come back from Lambo, you turn on AM 620. And you listen to the crazies call in. Mm -hmm. Now those crazies are in my Twitter mentions, or they're call, <laughs> or they're calling into the Locked On Packers fan hotline, which I, you know, and I appreciate it because you know the the enthusiasm is what matters to me. Sometimes it can be, you know, I think misplaced. I think it can be redirected into some some healthier ways. I don't even want to say more positive because <laughs> I think you know catharsis and grief is is a natural part of being a sports fan too. Yes. Um, but uh, I was always on the broadcast, I would, I would, you know, I, I would see something happen. I would say it and inevitably five seconds later, yeah. the announcer would say it. Mm -hmm. And my mom would always tease me about it. She would say, you know, you should be announcing these games. And I never, I never really wanted to do that. Um, I, I kind of, I kind of wanted to be a sideline reporter, um, but in a way that didn't exist yet either, really, you know, more in the sort of Todd McShay, um, Tom Luganbill kind of way where you're, you're offering some more analysis from the sidelines versus, and we're seeing more and more guys do that guys like Tony Saragusa did it for a while. Yep. Um, and you know, that was, it was just sort of like, I, I, I always thought I would be, you know, um, ESPN, you know, I was a huge sports center guy. I loved all the, I, I'm a little too young for, for like peak, Dan Patrick, Rich Eisen, um, Keith Elberman stuff. But I certainly remember those guys on, on those shows. Um, you know, Stuart Scott is probably more my era when I was coming of age. Yeah. Um, and eventually, um, you know, I, I played sports growing up, basketball, football, some volleyball thrown in there just for fun. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, just sort of eventually just became sort of like a natural thing to to, I, I knew I wanted to be in sports and work in sports media from like, I don't know, 12, 13. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we can go into more of the background. I don't want to preempt any of yeah, those. Questions. Yeah. Well, I mean, so it sounds completely natural. You're, you're, you're playing sports. You're from Milwaukee. I was born in Racine, as a matter of fact. So uh, know that part of the state. But listen, you choose to go to school 
in at Syracuse University. Yep. Now, Syracuse University, a couple things pop into my head. Number one, did uh, how much influence did Sherman Douglas, Derek Coleman, Billy Owens have on your decision <laughs> to go there? <laughs> um, you know, very, very little, but I, but you joke actually. And Donovan McNabb played a huge role in me wanting to go to Syracuse. And, and that's a weird story, right? That's like a weird <laughs> thing to say. Yeah. But when Donovan McNabb was a junior at Syracuse and Kevin Johnson was at Syracuse um, on, I think it was opening weekend. It was like the hall of, you know, whatever the college football version of hall of fame weekend was or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, they had a showcase game against Wisconsin. And I think Syracuse won like 49 to 14. And Donovan just absolutely torched Wisconsin. And because Syracuse has, you know, they're not in the Big Ten, mm -hmm. they're not in the region, I was able to just sort of appreciate and be in awe of him mm -hmm. and his ability to be at his size, to be as fleet of foot as he was, and the big arm. And, you know, he, he I, I just was so impressed. And I ended up sort of rooting for that team as well. Rob Conrad, I think, was on yep. that team. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually, this is true, I have a Donovan McNabb Eagles jersey in my closet. <laughs> That's how big of a Donovan McNabb fan I was. I just, I thought I was, I was, whoop, party. Um, I was such a big fan of his. And um, I just sort of stayed like a, a follower and a fan of Syracuse. Um, obviously, 2003 was right before I was doing, you know, like college stuff when they won the national title. So Carmelo Anthony. Mm -hmm. um, Jim Beheim. I mean, I started following a lot of that stuff and then I'm going through, you know, I think it, uh, the U S news and world report book or something, one of these, these college sort of manuals and looking up the best journalism schools and, you know, Syracuse is the journalism mm -hmm. school. I mean, it's, it's Syracuse, Northwestern, um, Missouri for broadcast, especially and Arizona state, like those are the big schools. So um, everyone at ESPN worked or went to either went to either Syracuse or Northwestern, like everyone. Yeah. Uh, and so I was just like, okay, this is easy. Like once I found out, oh, Bob Costas, Sean McDonough, Ian Eagle, <laughs> Mike Patrick. I mean, the the list is is seemingly endless of guys. I mean, they call it Sportscaster U for a reason. So I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I did, and then ironically, did not even major in journalism. <laughs> but they have all of the extracurriculars there. So I did Citrus TV for four years. Um, you know, news, news, sports, actually more news than sports um, for most of that time, because uh, there was a shorter line. I mean, yeah. I'm just I was pragmatic about it. There were most of the people that wanted to do the news show were women. Yeah which was also not a bad reason to be around the, the news team all the time. Yeah. Um, everyone wanted to do sports. And I was just sort of like, wait, I can anchor as a freshman on the news team. Like I would much rather do that than be chasing stats at the, you know, the, the intramural baseball game that I would otherwise be covering for the sports team. So um, maybe that was, maybe that was a lame choice. I don't know. I had a blast doing it. Yeah. We went live when the Virginia tech shooting happened. Ooh. That was, I was at Syracuse when that, when that went on, we went, we ended up going live that night. Um, for that, um, I, I was, you know, part of the election coverage team in 2008 when, when Barack Obama was, was elected. That was a pretty cool thing to, to work on. Yeah. Um, how I was, was campus of, that night? Wild. 
Yeah. Wild, wild. And I played the John King role because, you know, I initially they were like, you know, do we, you know, do you want to anchor it? And I was like, well, sure. But like, I feel like of all the people that are, you know, working on this and there were some really talented people, the guy who ended up anchoring it, Matt Rivers is like on CNN now. Um, uh, and I actually don't know oh, that was last time I checked. I don't, I don't honestly know what he's doing now, but I was like, we're going to need someone to just vamp a bunch. Like that's what, that's what John King does the best. It's just vamp. Like, Oh, we got to, we don't know what's going on. We got to fill 10 minutes before some votes come in. Let's just talk about stuff. Yeah. And so that's what I got to do. And, um, it, it was, I also have a, a, growing up, I did a lot of theater. Mm-hmm. So starting when I was like seven, I was doing theater. I did plays in high school. Um, that live performance part of it, it's the same thing with athletics. Like that live, there's nothing like the rush of that live performance. And even in podcasting, it's not the same. Um, cause it's, you know, it's live to tape and it's not even really live to tape cause you can still edit your flubs and, yeah. um, and, and so, um, that was, that was my college experience, which was great. And I was able to do internships, um, while I was at Syracuse. So not only was I getting, I got four years of the on-camera experience through Citrus TV, but then I spent a summer, um, at AM 620 covering the Brewers, Oh wow! which was all my first experience in a press box. And that, you know, you're getting to, to rub shoulders with the people that you grew up watching. Yeah. This is right out of college. This was in college. Oh, in college, your internship at 620. At AM 620. And so we're doing, I'm there two, I'm at the ballpark two nights a week. Mm. You know, Bob Uecker is there and, you know, all, all of the, the local stalwarts is there. And then that was, that was um, Barry Bonds home run chase season. That was Ryan Braun's, that was Ryan Braun's rookie season. So a lot of really cool stuff happened. I got to meet some really cool people, Tom Pippins and Jen Lada and, and Rod Burks. And, um, you know, the list goes on and on. I, I feel bad for even starting a list because then you feel like you're leaving someone <laughs> off the list, but like, I'm, I'm still friends with Jen mm-hmm. and, and that's a really cool thing. It's not like we were like friends, the whole intervening part of it, but like I met her there and then, you know, however many years later we sort of reconnected and it's like, Oh, Hey, yeah. That, yeah. So um that was my first day um ben sheets um pitched really well coco cordero got the save and it, it was basically my job to get sound from the the interviews this was before all the interviews are on zoom and you know whatever so i stick my recorder in the scrum and it's you know there's 15 people around ben sheets and i finally bet up the nerve to ask him a question and Cordero comes out. And so everyone leaves and goes to get Francisco. And so then it's now it's me and Ben Sheets, just me and Ben Sheets, you know, sort of at like peak of Ben Sheets. This is like 2007. So like he's an all star. Uh-huh. He's an Olympic gold medalist. Amazing. Um, and he 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 answered my question. Um, I followed up and I was just like, wow, this is the coolest freaking thing and i want to do this forever um so (laughs) the next summer i was i interned at wbay um and that was the summer of farf oh gosh you nailed it here so i just got really (laughs) really lucky um that you know i was there for that and that was that, that was actually a tv news internship um i i did 
did I do a, a day in news and a day in sports? I don't even, honestly, now I don't even remember. I don't think I did. But I, wa- I think I wanted to. Anyway, um, so then I used, I used my reel from those two internships to get ultimately get my job out of college um, in TV. Um, and we can talk about that if you want. Yeah, I sure do. Because uh, th- this is the job that took you to Washington. Yeah, so Yakima, Washington, sunny Yakima, Washington. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's actually not a joke. So I didn't know this when I got the job. Um, I, I, I assumed erroneously that all of the Pacific Northwest was like Seattle and Portland, mm-hmm. but like half of Washington, maybe more, is not anything like Seattle and Portland. Um, Yakima is in um, a, a high desert valley. Hmm. So they get 300 days of sunshine a year, which is oh. basically the opposite of what Seattle gets. Yeah. And I thought that was going to be great. And, and actually coming from, you know, more temperate climates, I, this is, this is wild, but it's true. I got sick of sunlight. That's why <laughs> I could never live in LA. I was like, I need it to rain. <laughs> I need a cloudy day every once in a while. I, you know what I want? I want a summer thunderstorm, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was just that it was, it was so much the same every day. And that's what was so frustrating. I think it would be the same if it were cloudy. I would, you'd get bored with it. Um, but so that was, man, that was a tough, that was a tough year. Um, 15 months that I spent in Yakima because um, it is... Um, not only isolating to move to somewhere where you know no one um, and, and to realize how little you know about the craft that you are, the field that you are trying to, to you know, elevate in. But also remember, I, so I graduated in 2009. This means I graduated right after the economy uh, <laughs> decided to go in the shitter. Um, and so I, I graduated into the worst economy for a college graduate in a generation or more. Yeah. And um, I think at the time, you know, there were articles being written like this is this is like the worst time for a college graduate since like the 40s or something crazy like that. Um, and so that was that was wild. But I had a you know the, my boss at the time was a great mentor for me. He had actually anchored for Fox Six um, for a stretch in the '90s, hmm. um, uh, and and had actually left the business for a little while and, and and came back. And anyway, so you're you're sort of just just with the people in your station, like that's all you know. Mm-hmm. And Yakima is um, it's a tough town, man. It is a blue collar town. Um, agriculture is what they do. Mm. Um, it's it's the fruit basket of the Pacific Northwest. So a lot of, a lot of trees, um, apple trees, peaches, um, you know, stuff like that. And then grapes, which is great. Um, wine, Mm. you know, we did wine tours and eventually you make, you make a couple friends, you know, someone at work who's been there for a year. Um, you know, I, I was really lucky. My producer took me out the first night, took me out to a restaurant. Let's have burgers. Let's have beers. Um, went out with another, um, you know, they're everyone's sort of your age, you know, when you're at an entry level yeah. station, everyone is sort of the same age. Um, but someone that's been there a year longer, you know, in, in that sort of timeline, it, it is, uh, a lifetime. And so, okay, they have a friend. Oh, and that friend works in PR for the hospital. Oh, I wonder how you made that friendship. Well, you had to do a story on the hospital. And then so, and so eventually you start to make some friendships 
Um, but it's tough. And, and I was covering um, courts and crime. I picked that beat because I didn't want to um, work the weekends. Because <laughs> if, you're, if you're doing courts and crime, they don't yeah. have court on Saturday and Sunday, right? So yep. um, it was me or another guy. And I said, I'm not working the weekends. So I'm doing courts and crime. Well, my first summer there, Yakima had a murder rate higher than Baltimore's per thousand. Come on. Uh, hand to God, hand to God. Jeez. I mean, I think, I think that first summer we had 18 homicides in a town of 80,000 people. Unbelievable. So, um, you know, gang violence was a big problem. Drugs was a big problem. Um, that was, I eventually found out the last stop before Canada on the Mexican, um, drug trade, because uh. you don't stop in Seattle. There's too many, um, federal agents there. So you stop in Yakima, two hours south of Seattle, you gas up, and then you make your your border crossing from there. So, mm-hmm. um, just uh, you know, it it was it was hard. Yeah. Um, and what I what I sort of came to realize was, um, you know, I, I think I I burned out a little bit. You're working sixty hour weeks to get paid for forty hours. That first job, my first year, I was making $20,000 a year. Um, again, working 60, 65 hours to get paid for 40. And um, ironically, had a, had a bigger apartment than I think my first two in New York. Um, <laughs> just because the world is different. And it paid like 500 bucks a month in rent. It was wild. Um, I think less even. But um, yeah, it was tough. And and. Um, I, I was, it was even, even though, even once I had friends there, it was really isolating and lonely. And I said, you know, I don't know if I can live this sort of peripatetic lifestyle that a news journalist or even a sports journalist would have to live mm-hmm. where every two, three, four years you're uprooting and going to the next place. Yes. And what I didn't, what I didn't realize was you don't have to do that, by the way, if you find some place you like, I mean, you know, um, you can be there forever. Bill Jarts in Green Bay at BAY was there for you know 40 years or whatever because he loved the job, he loved the people, he loved the town. Yeah. You find the place that that fits you and you stay there if you want to. But I found out that I just wasn't passionate enough about news journalism to kill myself over doing it every day. Because it's a it is a lot of work. And um I don't think people realize that it's what makes me so frustrated about all of the attacks on the media mm-hmm. and, and, the, and frankly that, you know, a lot of media people and media companies do not help themselves in that regard, but I know how hard the job is and I know how hard the people who care about it work mm. to be good at it and to, and to provide the service that journalists do. Yeah. Um, so I decided, okay, what I want to do is go to law school. So I got a job at um, uh, covering hyper-local news in Milwaukee. And I thought, okay, I'll move home. I'll save money for a year and I will go to law school. So I get this job. I move home. And on the fir- while I'm interviewing for the job, I go out that night. And I'm, I end up seeing, I go with some friends and I see this girl that I knew from high school. And, you know, we, I, I had always thought that she was cute. <laughs> and, you know, after a couple of beers, we're talking, we're flirting. And it's like, oh, so if you get this job, I'm having a housewarming party. Why don't you come when you move back? 
I got the job. Um, I went to the party and um, she's in the other room. We're married now. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so, That's great. so I, but so I met her or, and I didn't meet her, but you know, we connected really um, started dating and, and interestingly um, my, my passion for journalism covering hyperlocal news sort of rekindled um, for the newspaper because it was not crime it was not violence. I wasn't going to arraignments for homicides. I'm, you know, I'm going to school board meetings. And again, I got lucky. I'm covering local politics, local news um, during Act 10 and the, um, uh, what's it called? Recall elections. Yeah. Mm. So we get to do, I get to do all of these really cool things. I mean, I had a one-on-one -on -one sit down with Alberta Darling, who was the state senator. Um, and, uh, you know, like some, some really cool opportunities and her opponent, I'm, I'm going to forget the name of her opponent, unfortunately, but Alberta Darling, suffice it to say one, um, um, that was an election, not the recall. But so, you know, that was, that was a really cool experience. And, um, I have to say like over that stretch, it was such a change from Yakima because I'm living at home and as frustrating as that can be with your parents. Mm -hmm. They're still your parents. I have a great relationship with my parents. Um, and so it was actually really great to be home and be around family. And then, you know, to be dating this person that is, that is so great to be around a lot of my friends, um, and to be doing a job that I felt like I was pretty good at and, and enjoying mm -hmm. was great. Then my wife, um, then girlfriend gets an opportunity in New York. And so she's like, I'm out. And at this point, I have actually decided I'm not going to law school now. Okay. Um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't for me. And it should have been a red flag when people would say, what kind of law do you want to study? And I was just sort of like, nah, you know. Um, <laughs> I spent a lot of time I mean, in courtrooms. I, I think it's pretty dramatic a, up there. I, I got some good charisma. I had, I, had a, I had a couple ideas. Um, I, I actually, there were part, part of me wanted to work in, in um, public policy. Um, part of me wanted to work in communications, you know, be like a corporate attorney for, um, you know, a media company, something like that. Um, maybe do First Amendment stuff. I mean, there were there were a lot of different things I could have seen myself doing. But again, when it comes down to, I mean, I'm doing all the work studying for the LSAT and, and you know, taking the test. I took the LSAT a couple times. And I was just like, man, I don't, I, I just am not passionate enough about uh, this. Mm -hmm just not. Um, I took a, you know, I took some, some classes in, in college. You know, I loved my common law class. I think I could have, I think I could have been happy doing that, mm -hmm. but it, I just wasn't, I wasn't passionate about it. And, um, you know, I, I was actually, this is funny. I was home and I've been doing NFL draft prep since I was like 13. I'm just obsessed with the draft. I was obsessed with the draft before it was a cottage industry. Um, and, uh, it's one of those things where I was always just like, you know, I, I voraciously consuming everything that I could. And I was sitting there um, on the couch and my sister was home from college and we're watching TV and I have my laptop out and I've got my little draft spreadsheets and all this stuff. <laughs> and she turns to me and she just goes, you're an idiot. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> And she's like, look at what you're doing. Like you're, you're doing all of this work for sports and you're not working in sports. Why? 
And I was just like, well, you know, and I equivocated and all this stuff. And I was like, well, you know, I, I, I'd like to just be passionate about it and love it. I feel like if I worked in it, I would not be as passionate about it, which it turns out is not true. Yes. Um, and actually, while I was in Yakima, <laughs> I got, um, I was in, so CBS partnership partnered with this, this little, this, there was this blog site when I was a senior in college. Um, that I got a Facebook ad for. It was very proto Facebook ads. And I had this, I had this blog that no one read. And um, it said, blog community, free to write, but we, you know, we won't pay you, but just like, it's a community of people that like, like sports. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, cool. I did put a mock draft on it. And it was immediately like one of the most uh, uh, liked articles. And so I did it again same thing happened and i start putting out draft content and this is going awesome and i'm thinking this is great and um that that uh blog site um you may have heard of it it's called bleacher report yes and uh <laughs> i i applied to they they started um, when i graduated this featured columnist program through cbs they were going to pay essentially bloggers to cover every nfl team and um, I got down, I did, I did the interviews, I got down to the finals um, and I actually got a call from one of the guys that I had been working with, one of the editors that I've been working with for free. And he said, hey, listen, um, you were our pick to be the Packers writer. You were not CBS Sports's pick. I, I don't even remember who was. Yeah. Um, and that's not shade at them, I just literally don't remember. Yeah. Uh, cause I, I, it was, it was like proto Twitter. It was like 2009. So Twitter had really just started. Yep. So I didn't know, you know, other than the people that wrote for the journal Sentinel, I didn't know anyone that covered the Packers. You know, I knew Bob McGinn and Dennis Krause and, and Michael Hunt and, um, you know, Cliff Crystal and like, that was it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so they said, but we'd like you to do this new thing. We're doing this featured columnist thing. And I think if I remember right, the featured columnists were me, Jersey Al, and maybe Nagler. I don't know if I'm misremembering that, but it was like, I think all people that have, that have like gone on to continue to be yeah. Packers content creators. Yeah. So I, not only am I working 50, 60 hours a week on TV, I'm writing three articles a week. Um, <laughs> and I think, I think that was in season and maybe two off, or maybe it was three and four. I can't remember. And you're not getting um, paid for these articles. No, this is no, just no, you're no. just trying to build a name right now, and you're doing this for the love of sport. Right. Mm -hmm. That's so that was, um, I, like I don't regret doing it at all, um, because I think it really helped me find a voice. There are some things that I wrote that, like, probably now in retrospect, I would not have written, and certainly would not have written the same way. Um, I probably wrote about topics that I wouldn't write about now, just because, like, I thought I knew more than I did. You know, that's the, that, that's the, what's the old thing? Um, youth is wasted on the young. Like <laughs> you do accumulate wisdom and I think you accumulate an understanding of what your wheelhouse is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are, there are things and, and, and topics that I just, I probably wouldn't have written about, but I wrote about them because I thought they would get clicks. Yeah. Um, and I yeah. thought I had something interesting to say when I, I probably didn't, um, it's interesting because I, I don't want to interrupt you here, but the, the questions that I had surrounding this whole freelance writing, it's, mm -hmm. it's, 
so you're, you're breaching it right now with the Bleacher Report and you're not getting paid, but, I mean, how else do you get in front of these other companies? I mean, you're, you're, you've written for a ton of people, Pack Report, correct? Uh, yeah. Uh, Nation, you're, you're all over the place right now, but how does that pay? How, is, this, is this something that you can make a career out of? How did you dive in there? <laughs> no. Huh? Oh, man. Um, yeah, so the short answer is yeah yes you can make a living out of it um i I frankly have never made a living freelance writing Hmm. it's never happened i've never done it um because it's really hard to do and that's not to say you can't i know people that do um but and and i think the the best way for people who want to do that who want the flexibility of working for themselves um is to just you, you have to own your own content yeah um and so if you're going to work for free, start your own thing yeah. and try and grow it and, and try and do the thing and try and be a little different, um, try and fill a, a void. Um, you know, I, when I first started, so Elena moves to, my wife moves to New York. I moved briefly to DC to work in PR, which I fucking hated. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I, I, so I go to, I moved to New York and luckily Elena can pay for our apartment herself because she moved into it without me. Uh-huh. And, um, so I start, I start, uh, a program at the time with Yahoo where you get paid based on clicks, which was a very common practice. Yes. And I was getting God, no money. Like a, an awesome month for me was like a hundred dollars. Really? And you know, for some people, when you're, you know, if, you, if I was 20 and making a hundred dollars a month writing for, about the Packers, I probably would have said, this is great. This is beer money. And, and this is, you know, awesome. Um, it, 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 it can't pay rent. Yeah. So I spent six months sending out resumes, going on interviews, making phone calls, networking. And, um, I joined, um, one of the like it was like new england patriots draft but they were like you know just right we're a site that shares content with bill's draft and you know like this group of websites that eventually became the wire sites the usa today sites okay. yeah um and i wrote a couple of things that ended up that you know the big lead was part of this same network of sites so the stuff that i that i wrote ended up going on the big lead um which maybe i should put on my resume uh, but, uh, that was on a revenue share and we were not generating any revenue. <laughs> so great revenue share, yeah. but I, you know, I, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't getting any money cause we weren't making any money yet. And then I get a, I get a call from someone that I had networked with, um, and said, you know, we were scheduled to have coffee and she emails me on my birthday. Um, and says, Hey, I, we're still on for coffee, but, um, I have some, something that can't wait. Like we have these jobs. I think you'd be great for them. Um, apply and sports illustrated was closing their Atlanta offices because CNN and SI were splitting hmm. fully. And so, um, unfortunately a group of people in Atlanta got laid off. Um, they brought up two people from Atlanta and then they filled the rest of the staff with um us 
And so I, I ended up getting that job. But on my first day, um, I had I had moved the twenty dollars from my savings account into my overdrawn checking account, <laughs> and it hadn't it hadn't transferred yet. And so I go to buy lunch first day, and I give them my debit card, and it gets declined. The money hadn't been moved yet, so I give them my credit card, and it was declined. I call my credit card company, and I'm like, I have room on this, and they said, No, you don't. Um, you have $4,000 on a car that has a $3,000 limit. <laughs> and I thought, I was like, oh, I thought I had a $5,000 limit. Not that that's any better, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I didn't think I was over my limit. Um, so I, I tell that story to say, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't start that job that week because I was, out, I was beyond out of money. I was, you know, I was in debt. That was it with nothing in my bank account. Um, and I'm, I'm really lucky that, that, you know, my wife had a good job and was able to support both of us. Um, and, and honestly, I mean, that was 2012 and, and only really in the last three years have I started to contribute in a meaningful way to, um, you know, supporting our family. It's been her allowing me to build um, a career. And that's not quite true. When I was at Sports Illustrated, I was, I was helping, mm -hmm. but I was still, um, um, you know, I still had debt I was, that I was trying to pay off. And so, um, you know, you're always just sort of trying to play catch up on this. You know, I, I had money, but, you know, really the person paying the bills was my wife. Um, and I could help a little bit here. I could help there. We're going on vacation. Okay. Okay. You know, is that kind of thing. Yep. Oh, we're going out to eat. I can get, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, unfortunately, so I, I moved to golf.com after three years at SI. Well, wait, um, let's, back up, let's back up to Sports Illustrated because from okay, my, my youth was jumping into the magazine rack at the school and being the first one to grab the Sports Illustrated and then hiding it in a different area <laughs> so that the next time I could be the only one that would get the Sports Illustrated. To me, that would be a dream job. You're at Sports Illustrated at this point, Peter. What do you think? Is this something that you're thinking, man, this is the banner that is, you know, second largest to ESPN? I mean, are you feeling yeah. fantastic? What is your, yeah. what is your, yeah, yeah, yes to all. Um, it was a, a dream. I mean, I, I we, I, we just, um, uh, bought a house we're moving into next week and, uh, I had from storage a massive bo two boxes actually massive like not bankers boxes like probably three and a half bankers boxes of old Sports Illustrated. Yes, yes. Some of them with my work in them, and some of them I, I had always collected the covers of athletes that I loved. So I had Brett Favre covers, I had Carmelo Anthony covers, I had Tiger Woods covers. If Donovan McNabb had ever been on the cover, I would have had those. <laughs> um, I had all the Packers covers that I ever got. Um, and yeah, it was a dream. I mean, I, I would be lying if I said it was uh, not emotional. In fact, my first day, I walked. We lived in Midtown, Manhattan. Um, the, the SI offices are, are in Midtown, but a little further north. It's about a half hour walk from where we lived. And I get... Um, you know, not everyone is going to quite understand the, the geography of this, but I got to um, the corner of 50th and 6th Avenue. 
And as I look west from that corner to my right is Radio City, to my left is 30 Rock, and right in front of me is the Time Life building where I'm about to start my first day at Sports Illustrated. <laughs> I mean, it was a surreal moment. Mm, yeah. And on that corner, on that day, um, it got a little dusty, I have yeah. to admit. Yeah, it's beautiful. And, you know, I, I'm not going to say that it was, uh, uh, you know, a perfect situation or a perfect job or that I was a perfect employee, but it was, it was truly a dream come true. And, you know, shortly thereafter, you know, a year, a year or two in, um, I got to, I got to cover the NFL draft at Radio City um, on camera with <laughs> Doug Banks and McLovin from the Danettes on the Dan Patrick show. Yeah. And it's the Johnny Menzel draft, the Jadavion Clowney draft. Um, so it's an awesome draft to be there for in person. And I was just like, this is the greatest night of my life. Like yeah. this is, this is the best. And I, I, um, I ended it at the end of the night. Um, I, there's a, uh, uh, Walgreens basically it's a Dwayne Reed, but it's the same company as Walgreens across the street from radio city. And I went and I bought a 12 pack of beer. And I brought it up to the guys that I work with um, to sell, basically to celebrate me. Because <laughs> I was just like, this was the coolest thing I've ever done. Yeah. And like you got, and we, you know, if I'm being honest, we used to, I, I used to work 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. Um, at SI because guess when sports happens? Uh, at night. Uh, and it, it was often late nights, especially on, um, you know, a Friday or a Saturday night where someone would get beer and you'd have a beer or two late. Um, and I, we were never like getting sauce that would obviously be unprofessional, yeah. but yeah. we would, we would certainly go out after uh -huh. and stay out until, you know, bar close at three thirty, four o'clock. <laughs> um, but, but that's not to say, and I, I think this is important too, for, for people listening. Um, and sometimes for myself, um, it still was not a perfect job. And I disagree with my bosses on a lot of stuff. Um, I, you know, uh, I had a lot of opportunities that were awesome. Um, but you know, I, it was not without its struggles. It was not without, uh, its hardships. 6 PM to 2 AM is not a cakewalk shift. No, that's not my, my girlfriend and I, you know, now wife, um, were like ships passing in the night. Yeah. It's a, it was a hard, it was a personally hard thing to deal with. And we were so disconnected from the rest of the organization because we're everyone, everyone is in the office during the day. Mm -hmm. And it's basically just us in the office at night. Um, and so I'm, I'm still friends with a lot of those people. Um, two of the people that I worked with were in my wedding. Um, so, you know, you become fast friends with a lot of those people. Sure. Uh, and it was, like I said, it, it, I never, I ne by the way, I never complained to anyone, including my wife. Because I'm just like, I get paid to watch sports. So <laughs> I, I, I will not complain about that. It's the dream. But I would, you know, I'd, I'd talk to my, you know, I have some friends that, that work, you know, obviously at other media companies. And I would talk to a friend that worked at a uh, company, I'm not even going to name it, um, that I really wanted to work at. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that would just, that would just be so great. Um, if I weren't working, if I were working anywhere but here, I would want to work there. Yeah. And he would be like, yeah, man, like I got to deal with bullshit too. There's office politics here and, and, you know, there's dealing with, with bosses and there's, you know, coworkers that you don't, and it's the same, it, it, there is no magic place. Um, 
and and the magic place is the place that the you know you sort of make magic you're you're in charge of of how you feel about going to work every day you're in charge of your relationship with your coworkers and you're in charge of of, of how those people make you feel um, and that took me a long time to to embrace it it also it made me appreciate um, the work when I actually got to do the things that I wanted to do um, and and I think I think there's almost no job where you only do the things that you want to do right I mean in order to do the things that you want to do usually you have to do some things that you don't want to do do I want to edit lockdown Packers every night at, at <laughs> one o'clock no I don't want to do that but I also don't want to pay someone to do it so um, I do it. Do, would I ever complain about that? No, obviously yeah. not. Um, so, but what I realized is when you're passionate about something and you care about the outcomes and you care about getting better at it, um, embracing the work, embracing the process, all that stuff. And just saying like, this is, yes. this is, this is fun too. Yeah. Um, you know, I do have fun editing my show from time to time. Um, and sometimes it's because I say stupid things and I got like, we got to cut that out <laughs> or, um, you know, like, we were, we were home recently. My son was, was, um, had a birthday party that, you know, my family got to be at and, uh, my wife comes into the room and asks me a question and we have a funny exchange and I go back and I'm editing it and I get to re-listen to this funny exchange. And I like, I woke her up and I said, you got to come listen to this. This is just too funny. Um, and I saved it. I still have it on my computer, uh, because it was just like a really funny exchange. So like, embracing the work part of it, I think made it easier to deal with some of the, the parts of any job that I didn't like. Yeah, yeah. And, and now I'm really lucky that with locked on, I don't, I don't have to, I don't really have to deal with that stuff. Yeah. Um, Cause I, I work, go ahead. No, no, I, I'm excited to talk about this because this transition, I mean, golf.com, I don't, I don't want to just brush over golf.com because I, you know, golf is a, uh, I love golf. My wife just recently picked up golf. She's taking lessons at the, uh, at the club down the road here. And we just went on Sunday, had a blast. How is golf, uh, you know, in your life? Is that a nice, uh, sport you're still playing or is that something you, uh, covered and you're done with now? No, no, no. I love golf. Um, I've been playing since I was probably in middle school, but, but didn't really start to, to work at in earnest until like college, probably late teens. Um, and my wife was a division one golfer. Oh, she was on the first women's Drake <laughs> golf team. Drake. Um, right. and while, while she was there, Zach Johnson, who went to Drake won the masters. Wow. Um, so she's still a really good golfer. In fact, um, before she had the baby, so this was pre COVID that last summer, she was a plus handicap. Really? Oh, my um, gosh. yeah. So what's yours at Peter? Be honest. Uh, uh, 15, I think 16. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a 15.8 right now. All right. I had it down pre COVID. I had it down to a 13 mm -hmm. and that was the lowest I'd ever been. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Alan Shipnuck used to work at golf.com. Uh, heard me say I was, a, this was then, this is a couple years ago. Now I said I was a 15 in my prime. And he said, if you were a 15 in your prime, you didn't have a prime. So, <laughs> uh, that's the way, but no, no, the, the cool thing about golf.com was it was, it was even more a dream than SI in that I got to do so many more things that I wanted to be doing. I was on camera a ton more. Mm -hmm. I was doing podcasts. That was when podcasts were, were starting to yeah. percolate a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, we, we launched a live show and I was getting to do that. I'm getting to go to majors. I mean, I was, I was at Oakmont when Dustin Johnson won. And then that night was the block. And so I'm, I watched the LeBron James block in the Warriors in game seven <laughs> from awesome. the media tent at Oakmont and the whole place just erupted. Mm. Um, I'll never, I'll never, ever forget that. I, I may remember that more than I remember that, that us open. <laughs> Um, Jason day shot 65 on Saturday, I believe. And I just like had decided, Hey, I'm just going to go follow J day a little bit. And all of a sudden it's like, wait, he might shoot 63. Um, and he almost did. Um, same thing happened to me the next, the next year, two years later at Shinnecock, I was like, okay, I got to be back before the final round. Cause it's actually better in the U S in the media tent to watch from the tent. So you, mm-hmm. you, it's hard to tell on the course what's actually happening around you because mm-hmm. you can't have a phone. And, um, or you can have one, but there's no service. And I just said, Oh, you know, um, Tommy Fleetwood's like a few under and and just about to make the back nine. I'll watch him play the back nine. And that was when Tommy Fleetwood tied the major scoring record with a 63. And the first like four holes of the back nine, like the first three birdies he makes, there is no televised record of them because he was so far out of it. It was just like, why, why do we care? Yeah. Um, and they don't have cameras on every hole or they didn't, they do now that a lot of golf tournaments they do now, um, at the masters, like they did, they did at the masters, they had, they had cameras on every hole, but they didn't. So like, I remember seeing the Fox cameras, like sprinting to catch up with us and the crowd steadily growing as the buzz is like, Oh, Tommy Fleetwood, Tommy Fleetwood. So it was a dream come true as a golf journalist. You have so much access to the guys. Oh yeah. You can just like walk practice rounds with them, grab them on the practice screen, talk to them. Like I, I honestly think to be a full-time golf journalist would be really fun. <laughs> um, and maybe it is something that I will try and do like later in my life, like in my forties or fifties where I'm just like, you know what? I don't want to do every night to stay up until one and, and record podcasts. But you know what I would love to do is go to, go to Tory Pines. So <laughs> We'll we'll see if we'll see if I can convince one of these companies to let me do that, or we'll, or we'll see if I can convince David to do lockdown golf. Yeah. Well, hey, let's move on to lockdown because I know uh, I know your time is tight here, and uh, I do not want to miss out on the story of how you became mm. the number one Green Bay Packers podcaster. David Locke is the. Uh, creator of Locked On Packers, he was an announcer for the Utah Jazz, and still is. Yeah, and and created this this idea and and pushed it out really to every team and it has just taken uh, the podcasting world by storm i mean i listen to locked on uh, i listen to your shows number one but all anytime there's the draft shows the basketball shows everybody's covered the badger shows locked on everything is uh really taking the podcasting world by storm peter you have done how many episodes do you know by chance? Cause I I've listened to 800 of your episodes at least is what I'm, what I'm thinking. So we changed platforms, um, publishing platforms two years ago, I think. And since then it has to be more than that. It has to be three years ago. I've done at least a thousand episodes on this new platform and we probably did a couple hundred before that. Yeah. Um, I, so I started in 2017 and we've done four or five shows a week every every week since then. So, I mean, someone do the math on that. That's yeah, four years worth of shows and fifty two weeks, you know, worth of worth of doing it every day. So, I mean, we got to be 
right? I've got, it's five years. We're coming up on five years. It's got to be 2,500 shows, 17, yeah. 18, 19, 20, 21. Um, Unbelievable. Yeah. I was, so I was, I got laid off at golf.com in 2016 and I was just about to propose and my wife was great about, I was, my wife was great about it. She said, you know, if we have to wait, if you still need to save some more money, like, let me know if you, if you want to just let me have me give you the money that you they still need to save. So it was like, you know, clock is ticking guy. Um, and I called a buddy, uh, who is a little older than me, um, in the business. And he said, you can't let the, you know, he's named the editor at, at the time at sports illustrated. You can't let Chris Stone determine when you get engaged. And I had a good relationship with, with, um, with Chris Stone, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, uh, he said, you can't let Chris Stone decide when you get engaged. So I, I didn't, um, and there was never any doubt that day. I mean, my, my called my mom and, and she said, so now what are you going to do? And, <laughs> and I said, I don't know, but I'm not, I'm not quitting. I'm not going to go, just go do something else. I, this is what I want to do. This is, this is what I'm going to do. And, um, it wasn't for another year. So I spent another year sort of wandering the wilderness, you know, luckily you get some severance pay for that. And then I was on unemployment for a little while and you're trying to build now a freelance portfolio. Right. And luckily I had some friends that had left SI that were doing other stuff. So I was able to, to freelance at Dime Magazine and Uproxx. That opened a ton of doors for me. Um, even if, you know, it, it's not, it's not, a, I wasn't doing it often, not writing it often enough for them to pay rent, but writing yeah. often enough that I was, I felt like I was, I had cool clips that I could send to employers if I needed mm-hmm. to. And then, um, you know, getting some cool experience out of it as well. Um, and then I ended up starting at SB Nation. Um, the following summer and I was on the Acme Packing Company podcast with um, Ben Foldy and Zach Rapport and Alex Patakis and Zach actually texted me like two or three weeks later and said, Hey, you're going to get a call from David Locke. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know who that is. And he, he was like, he runs the lockdown podcast network. They're looking for a new host for lockdown Packers. He asked me, but I'm not a host. I'm a producer. I'm sort of on the Acme Packing podcast by accident. Um, and I said, I recommended you. And I was like, off one podcast? Um, <laughs> but I, I had had, I had started an NFL podcast with my buddy, Jason Hershorn, we did, which we did for two years, I think, um, the Two Deep NFL podcast, which no one really listened to, um, except for the episode we did with Jermichael Finley when he told the story of, of uh, Marshawn Lynch telling the Packers as he was walking up the field, telling Aaron Rodgers, um, tell Ted Thompson to come get me was the story. And that got picked up pretty widely. And it was, it helped that I, that I worked at SI at the time and he was working at SB nation at the time. And so I could write a blog post, he could write a blog post. And all of a sudden now everyone, you know, our normal episode got a hundred downloads and that one got like 10,000. Um, (laughs) but so David called me and we talked and I said, I'd love to do this. He said, when can you, can, can you start for week one? And I was like, yeah, sure, David, here's the problem. I'm getting married and I'm going to be on my honeymoon for week one. I was not planning on doing a daily podcast. I'm going to be in Italy. <laughs> and he said, well, can you get a fill-in host? And I was like, for my new podcast? <laughs> no, I can't get a fill-in host. 
So, and actually Bill Huber, Bill Huber did it for the first year and, and, and built, built an audience. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I mean, credit bill because, you know, people were, were already listening when I started doing it. Um, uh, you know, I won't say if the audience was, was big or small, but it was certainly not as big as it is now. Um, and, um, just cause out of respect for bill, but, um, so I, the week of my wedding, I recorded, I recorded eight shows. <laughs> I previewed the week two game against the Falcons without having seen the week one game. And this is actually where I came up with the structure of the show. That's where I came up with expert Tuesday. Mm-hmm. It's where I came up with, um, we used to call it opponent Wednesday. Then it became crossover Wednesday when my show, um, had so one of the reasons why my show grew as fast as it did is opponent Wednesday. Because I would have people who cover the Vikings and the Cowboys on the show, Mm -hmm. and then you're getting a different audience. And then, you know, you know, David was sort of just like, well, we have shows for every team. Why wouldn't we cross promote? Well, when the Packers play the Buccaneers, why wouldn't you have the Lockdown Bucks host on? And I was like, well, I would if I knew those people. Um, (laughs) And eventually it just became part of our schedule that that we would do that. And but I did that. I, I did interviews because I needed to do interviews to fill time because I was going to be gone. I was going to be out of the country. <laughs> so I did two, I previewed the whole first week Packers Seahawks. Um, that was the game where they beat the Seahawks, like, you know, like 15 to six or whatever it was week uh-huh. one. Um, and uh, I did not host the post game show. Jason did. That was the only episode I missed while I was on my honeymoon. Um, I was editing shows on the plane to Rome. I was editing shows in Positano and I was editing shows. No, I had finished editing shows by the time we came back and we came home on the Sunday. Um, the Sunday night, the Packers played the Falcons on Sunday night. They, they got killed. Um, and so I had a Monday show ready to go. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the, the rest is history, man. That was, yeah. uh, wild man it is uh it is one heck of a story peter i think the biggest thing that you've uh talked about in every one of your stories here number one is perseverance sticking with it you have to you know maintain what you have your sights on and you kind of figured it out on your feet which is fantastic and i love the struggles especially when you're a guy like you that's gone through newsbacker you've you've basically touched every facet of it but then you moved into this lockdown packers where right now you're everywhere you're the number one packers podcast i don't know if that means anything to you but uh for packer nation i mean everybody that has a packers there's thousands of packer podcasts out there so many people love hanging and talking to packers but there's not one person out there that I know that doesn't listen to Peter Bukowski because number one, even from the first articles, I remember your name because I was a writer in, in school and you know, Charles Bukowski, I see a Peter Bukowski and you go, Hey, that's a name that you're going to remember. <laughs> yeah, I re- not related. I remember reading some of your articles though, uh, you know, 2000, you know, 16, 17, uh, time then. And then when you came on to locked on and that's when I was, Wow, you, you've been all over. You've touched so many different facets. And I thought, what a great story. And Peter, I can't thank you enough for 
given us the background of everything that uh, made you who you are today. Because number one, it's inspiring. And uh, it, it gives somebody really a concrete background from you. I know the trolls you face on Twitter. I, I, <laughs> I see them. And uh, there's a lot of people out there that <clears throat> they don't understand the work that goes into becoming what you've become having to balance family, wife, your struggles to become the success. I just, the story's fantastic and uh, you're a fantastic guy. I appreciate every second you spent with me today. This was, this was a blast. I, I rarely get to be on this side of the microphone, although I, you know, I probably talk just as much as I otherwise would, but um, it was a blast. I appreciate it. This was great. Awesome. Well, Peter, thank you very much. And uh, until next time. So that's what I'm found some new friends man oh man how are we feeling about that one did you get a better picture of what success takes the hard work focus the faith it needs man dreams come true but you really got to massage them peter bukowski was fantastic i appreciate everybody out there listening to us itunes spotify google send me a voice message on anchor you want to chat anytime send us a message on the show at h w D W E K at Gmail. Appreciate everybody out there following Acme Army on Twitter, Acme underscore Army. This show is going to be out on both feeds, like most of them. But hey, appreciate you listening. And hey, it's time you guys go out to peterprincemusic.com and get some of this music that uh, I play on both shows. It's fantastic. And make sure Tulip Tree Garden CO.com is on your Father's Day list because listen. CBD is legal damn near everywhere, and it is a great product, homegrown, organically produced in-house. Jesse and Rachel at TulipTreeGardenCO.com are fantastic. Make friends with them. We all need them. Thanks for listening. See you next week.